The scripture reading for today is 1 Samuel 31 and can be found on page 298 of the Black Pew Bible located in the seat in front of you. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Geboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchashua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor bearer saw what Saul saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his own sword and died with him. Thus Saul said, Thus Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor bearer, and all of his men on the same day died together. And when the men of Israel were, who were on the other side of the valley had those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled, and the Philistines came and lived in them. The next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Geboa. So they cut off his head and stripped him of his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of the, their idols to the people. They put his armor on the temple and fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. Then, But when the inhabitants of Jebesh Gilead heard that the Philistines had done to Saul. All the violent men arose and went in the night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of the sons and from the wall of Bethshan and they came to Jebesh and burned them there. And they took their bones and buried them underneath the Tamarisk tree in Jebesh and fasted seven days. First Samuel chapter 31. If I, if I ask you how do you want to leave this world what would you say? You're like, well, I want Jesus to come back so I don't have to deal with death. And that would be awesome, wouldn't it? But for unless the Lord, if the Lord tarries, that won't happen. And we all, I think, think about that. What's it going to be like to leave this world? And um, how would that happen in my own life? You know, um, And we, we know loved ones who've gone on before us, and some of them have said goodbye to their family members and drifted off to sleep. Some have been lost in a car accident. Some have fought long illnesses and some have fought short ones. Some have died in battle. Some had surgery but did not make it through. Some may have had a cerebral hemorrhage. But we don't get to choose, do we? The Lord who is sovereign over all things, who gives life and breath, He chooses. But I do um, want to bring your attention to uh, my favorite movie. I don't watch a lot of movies. Um, but I do have a favorite. I'm a John Wayne fan. And I don't understand people that don't like John Wayne. I just don't understand that at all. How could you not like John Wayne? But for some people, like Hunter, maybe he doesn't appreciate the Duke, like I do. But, um, yeah, some say he doesn't, he's just not a good actor. I'm like, in which movie? You know? 
But I, I love John Wayne, and my favorite movie is The Cowboys. And some of you know that movie, but John Wayne, he, it has a great plot, and it's just, it's all over the place. You know, every emotion um, you experience while watching this movie. But John Wayne, he plays Will Anderson. He's an aging um, cattleman, and he's a rough and gruff fella. And his, all his hired hands, they abandon him. They quit work one day because there's a gold strike nearby. And so they abandon him at just the wrong time because it's time to make the long cattle drive and take his cattle to market. And if he doesn't get these cattle to market, he's going to go bankrupt. And so for those of you that remember the movie, he's forced to go into this schoolhouse with all these boys and he looks around here and he has to hire these boys, literally cowboys, to help him take this cattle to market. Well, he hires the boys and he's really hard on them. He's kind of gruff and he doesn't give them any slack. He's hard on these boys, but he has to be in order for them to do this job because they're doing man's work. But they didn't know it at the time, but there's, a, there's the bad guys, the antagonists, there's cattle thieves lagging behind them. And the, the leader of the bandits, his name's Longhair, and I wish I could remember his, his real name. Um, but anyway, he's, his, his name's Longhair. Well, they catch up to John Wayne and the boys, and they come in one night, and they, they end up shooting Will Anderson. Oh, Longhair shoots him up pretty good after he took a beating, of course. You know, John Wayne has to whoop somebody in the movie. And John Wayne is laying there, and he is, he's dying, and he's, 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 these are his last words. And he, these boys, he's been so hard on these boys. And, and to make the plot richer... He, he had two sons of his own that he lost. So he and his wife didn't have any children. He's got all these boys, and he's taking on this cattle drive. He's been real hard on them and teaching them all the things they need to know. But he's laying there, and he's dying. And in his last breath, he tells them how proud he is of all of them and how every man wants his children to be better than he was. And he says, and they have become so. And the boys prove it because after he dies, the boys bury Will Anderson, and they not only kill the thieves, but they get the cattle to market. But that scene, that last scene, it's so, it's, it's so powerful to me. And I thought about that this week because we have a, a death scene today in our text in 1 Samuel 31 that Caleb read for us. But Saul, he doesn't die so well, does he? Hold your place right there at 31. Flip over a couple pages. Chapter 28. We're going to pick up as I said a couple weeks ago, the, the author under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's flipping back and forth between Saul and David, Saul and David. And so let's flip back to the last time we see Saul. Remember, he's at the Witch of Endor, right? He's went to a sorcerer, and he wanted to call up Samuel because he was in dire straits. He was going up against the Philistines, and he, he didn't think he could win, and he, God wasn't answering him. Look at verse 24. Now the woman, this is the sorcerer, had fat, a fattened calf in the house and she quickly killed it and she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it and she put it before Saul and his servants and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. She feeds him because he's famished. He hasn't eaten all day. And he has to eat because the next day he's going into battle. Well, where we pick up in chapter 31 is picking up with that, with Saul's life's happening. So that's where we are. And if you're just joining us, maybe you're visiting with us. Let me catch you up. Israel's God's people, God's chosen people. 
they were being led by God and God's prophet, who was Samuel, but they had rejected God. They had rejected theology for politics. They had rejected God for government. They asked for a king like all the pagan nations to lead them and to fight their battles. And they had suffered because of it. Saul had been a failure in almost every way. God had rejected him because of his disobedience. And Samuel had anointed a new king, David. But David is a shepherd boy. And so the question is, how is David going to get from the pasture to the throne? These last several months, we're seeing God providentially orchestrating events through the decisions of people to bring David, God's chosen king, into power. And it's just about to happen. But David has rescued Saul time and time again. He's rescued Israel time and time again. And he's treated Saul well, but Saul has responded to this good with evil. So much so that Saul has been seeking to take David's life because he's jealous of him. He is suspicious of David. And David had resisted taking Saul's life on several occasions, and he's retreated to enemy territory. He's been living with the Philistines. And in chapter 29 and 30, David and his men, they part company with the Philistines. The Philistines, they head north to Jezreel to fight Saul, while David and his men turn south to Ziklag, where they had been living. And I imagine the Philistines reach Saul, and David reached Ziklag about the same time. David returns to Ziklag, and it's in ashes. And all of his family has been taken away by the Amalekites. And we know from last week's text that David rescues his family and saves the day yet again. But in contrast, chapter 31, our text today tells us how Saul not only doesn't win his battle, but he dies a sinner's death in the process. So our first point today, just two points, and then we're going to look at application. But our first point today, I think, from our text, Saul died the death of a sinner. He died the death of a wicked man. Look at verse 1 and 2. We've already read the text, but I'll just walk us through it real quickly. The battle's going badly for Saul. He's engaged with the Philistines. The Israelites are being overrun. The sons of Saul, including the godly Jonathan, have died. They've perished before Saul's very eyes. Saul is hit with an arrow, and he's afraid of what the Philistines are going to do to him. They might torture him to death. And, and we think about the Philistines. We've already walked through, if you're at this point in redemptive history, through the time of the judges. And what did they do with Samson? You remember the Philistines when they finally captured Samson? What did they do with him? Do you remember? Yeah, they gouged out his eyes, right? They gouged out his eyes before they made him a circus animal, right? They wanted him to entertain them by doing different tricks as, as they gouged out his eyes. So Saul, is rightly, he's afraid of that, right? He's afraid of what's going to happen if... The Philistines overrun him, and that's what's happening. And it's interesting, he didn't cry out to the, to the Lord. He's not really worried about his soul, but he's worried about being mocked and abused, made fun of maybe even by the Philistines. And I was thinking about that as I prepared today, and I thought about the thief on the cross. In Luke chapter 23, you remember the thief on the cross? There's two thieves, and one of the criminals who was hanged railed at Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? We, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And the criminal looks at Jesus and says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, 
Today you will be with me in paradise. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't respond that way, did he? No, he's not crying out to the Lord. He's not worried about his soul. He's worried about being abused by the Philistines. And so Saul asked his armor bearer to finish him off. The armor bearer refuses. He's afraid. And as the Philistines are about to overrun him, Saul falls on the sword himself. Why did this happen? As David, we see David, he's victorious time and time again, but Saul is not. Why is that? Well, Deuteronomy 28, you remember the, the blessings, the blessings and cursings. God gave Moses the law, and he says this in Deuteronomy 28, verse 1 and 2, and then verse 7. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord. Verse 7 of Deuteronomy 28 says, The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven. Did you hear that? Your enemy is going to come at you one way and they're going to flee seven. Now, that, that's going to happen if you obey, Ethan. That happens if you obey. God's going to bless you. Your enemy's going to come upon you, and they're going to come at you, and then they're going to scatter. They're going to flee. They're going to run like cockroaches when you turn on the light, right? But the opposite is true as well. Verse 15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all His commandments and His statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. In verse 25 says, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go one way against them and flee seven ways before them. Isn't that something? So he says, if you're, if you're obedient, what's going to happen is your, your enemy is going to come at you and they're going to scatter because you're going to be victorious. But if you disobey, if you don't trust the Lord, you're not obedient, what's going to happen is you're going to go at your enemies one way, but you're going to scatter seven. And look at verse 7. That's what happens in our text in chapter 31. Verse 7, and when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, what did they do? They fled like cockroaches, didn't they? They abandoned their cities and fled, and the Philistines came and lived in them. So why did all this happen? It happened because of Saul's disobedience. That's why. I mean, think about it. Israel's defending their land. They have a just cause. This is a just war. They're fighting against a pagan nation. But yet they lose the battle. They have gone out of their one way against the Philistines and are fleeing seven ways before them. Because their leader is presumptuous, he is a liar, he is a murderer, he is self-absorbed, and he does not trust the Lord. When the leader forsakes God, the nation and his family suffer. I mean, think about it, Saul could only truly ruled the subjects beneath him to the extent he obeyed the supreme king above him. It reminds me of Zedekiah. Do you remember Zedekiah? He is the last king of Judah before the exile. For students, we were talking this morning. In 586, they were the last wave um, was, was taken back to, to Babylon. And Zedekiah was the king at that time, and he was a he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, 2 Kings 24 tells them. And 2 Kings 25, 6 and 7 says, They captured the king, Zedekiah, and brought him up to the king of Babylon, and they passed sentence on him. They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, 
and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains and took him to Babylon. It reminds me of Zedekiah. Saul's this last defeat. He sees his sons perish at the hands of the Philistines and then he, um, he takes his own life. He, much like Zedekiah and his wicked ways. Saul dies a wicked man's death. He sees his, his hopes dash before his eyes. And what is his hope? A king's hopes is that his sons will succeed him, right? He sees them dashed and his sons killed, and the best of the nation dies with him. I mean, Jonathan, think about Jonathan, the prince. He was godly. He loved the Lord. He was surrendered to God's will. Say something about him. We'll return to Jonathan in, in, in a moment, but I want to mention this. You know, the death of the godless is very tragic, isn't it? We see this Saul's death. It's a tra- he had a tragic ending. He had a tragic life. He was so self-absorbed. But what about the death of Jonathan? Jonathan was a godly man who loved the Lord. And for those who die trusting God, it is victory, right? That's true of Jonathan. Jonathan was a, a true friend as you could find. He loved David. He was righteous. Even so much, he was willing to give up not only his throne to David, he said, I'm the king's son, but you're going to be the king, and not only that, I'm going to serve you. Wow. He was surrendered to the Lord's will, wasn't he? He knew that was God's will. But Jonathan suffered because of Saul, but there is no defeat in death when you're a child of God, right? That's what the Scriptures teach us, and we celebrate that often, don't we, when our loved ones and friends breathe their last. Psalm 116, verse 15 Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Revelation, the New Testament there, chapter 14, verse 13, John writes, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Yeah, so Jonathan, he kind of a side note here, Jonathan dies, but yet he's a, a godly man. So for him, death is different, isn't it, than Saul? Now back to Saul, verse, verses 8 through 10. He died the death of an unbeliever, right? A non-trusting man. His body was stripped. He was beheaded and his armor taken to the temple of Ashtoreth. And First Chronicles 10.10 10 tells us that they took his head to the temple of Dagon. And as a symbol of saying... Our God is more superior than your God. We're taking your king and we're putting him in the temple, right? As a token to show that our God, Dagon, this idol, is more powerful than Yahweh. So Dagon is exalted as a result of Saul's death. As Tom Nelson says, his body was taken and put on the wall of a nearby town to become graffiti for Dagon. But there's a, a bright spot here in this terrible chapter, verse 11 through 13. No, notice this noble act by those in Jabez Gilead. Let me tell you a little bit about Jabez Gilead. You've heard that name if you've been reading through. You've read through this already a couple times at least. Jabez Gilead had not responded to Israel's call. In Judges 20, 21, there's this heinous crime that took place. And so what they did is, is the tribe of Benjamin didn't do anything about it. They just overlooked it. 
And so the rest of Israel said, no, this can't be. And so they, they had this big meeting. They said, look, we're going to go against the Benjamites and we're going to punish them unless they do something about this heinous crime. Well, those Benjamites didn't want to do anything about it. And so they went to war and they, they killed a lot of the Benjamites. But they said, whoever doesn't come and fight with us, we're going to punish them. And so that's what happened. Jebesh Gilead, they were seen as being non-patriotic. They had a bad reputation. They didn't go to battle when they needed to go to battle. And it's kind of a faraway place, and they didn't think it was any of their business. And so they had a bad reputation. Wasn't seen in a very good light. But later, here in 1 Samuel chapter 11, that city is besieged by the Ammonites. And it, this is what the Ammonite leaders uh, told them. They said, you can surrender, and if you surrender, all we're going to do is every man, we're going to gouge out your right eye. But if you don't surrender, we're going to kill all of you. And so they said, everybody in Jebus Gilead said, okay, time out for a second. Let us think on this for a couple of days. And so that's what they did. And so they sent word. And they never thought anybody would come. Of course, they are, they're not very patriotic. They don't have a good reputation. They're thinking, well, nobody's going to come after our sorry tales, you know. But lo and behold, what did Saul do? This is his first act as king. Newly crowned king, what did he do? He gathered up 300,000, 30,000 from Judah, and what does he do? He goes and he delivers Jabesh Gilead. That was his first act as king, and it's about his only good act he ever did. The, good, the only good thing he ever did, but it came back. He, re, he reaped what he sowed because he came back. He reaped what he sowed in death, but, but also he reaps what he's sowing now after his death because what did, the, what did those in Jabesh Gilead do? They feel like they're indebted to Saul. And so they walked all night long. And what they do? They took the bodies of Saul and his sons off the wall. They gave them a proper burial. And said, so why did they burn them and all that? Well, I'm sure by then their bodies are pretty putrid. And so they burn them and they take the bones and they bury them. They gave him a proper burial. That's what this is about. So that was the way they honored Saul, the king of Israel. And it's an ironic twist, isn't it? That this story, it kind of comes full circle for the men of Jabesh Gilead, now they're rescuing Saul. That's how far Saul has fallen. You have these unpatriotic Israelites rescuing him and his body and giving him a proper burial. And in fact, David, in 2 Samuel chapter 2, he's going to honor these folks for, their, for what they did. So the first we see the first thing, I think, is just Saul died a, a sinner's death, an unbelieving man's death. A terrible death. And the second point, I think, from our text is when life is hard, remember to trust the certainty of God's Word. When life's hard, and it's going to be hard, right? We have to trust God's Word. Think about what did God tell the prophet Samuel in chapter 8 of this book? Do you remember they wanted a king like all the other nations, and Samuel, God tells Samuel, we'll warn them, warn them what it's going to be like, and so Samuel does. He goes in chapter 8, he tells them, this is what's going to happen. You can go back and read that later. He says, your king's going to be a taker. He's going to take your sons. He's going, to, he's going to make them drive chariots. He's going to put them to battle. They're going to die in battle. He's going to take your women, and he's going to have them do certain tasks. He's going to take. He's going to take. He's going to take. And what happened? Saul, that's what he ended up being, a taker. So much so that he takes the life of all the, the priests in Nob. So Samuel... Being God's spokesperson, delivering this warning, and lo and behold, it came true, didn't it? 
It's all turned out just like God said he would. And, and as the witch of Endor brings up Samuel, what does this prophet of God say? He says, you and your sons will die. And the next day, within 24 hours, he and his sons have perished. Yeah, God's word is sure, isn't it? Saul dies, and even as Samuel has declared that, he's, he dies. God's word is going to happen. If you think about it, Saul never could have really started this kingly line. What tribe was Saul of? Do you remember? you remember what tribe? Saul was a Benjamite. Now that's a problem, isn't it? Because there's a, there's a promise, Genesis 49, 10. You have that? Genesis 49, 10. It says, this is Jacob when he's about to die. There it is. He's about to die. And he speaks to, he's about to die. And he has 12 sons and he's speaking to every one of them, right? And he's given this a word of prophecy. The scepter, what's a scepter? A scepter is something kings hold, right? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. In other words, the king, the Messiah, is going to come from Judah. Well, there's a problem because Saul's a Benjamite. This never could happen, could it? No, the, the king's going to be uh, from the tribe of Judah. So David of Bethlehem, of Judah, will come forth as the next king, right? And through that, we're reminded God's word is, shall not be thwarted. It's, it is sure. It will happen. Something else about the, the death of Jonathan for a second. I said I was going to come back to that. Saul is a Benjamite, so Jonathan's a Benjamite too. Can you imagine the trouble would have had if, if Jonathan wouldn't have perished in battle? I mean, they're just thick as thieves, right? They're buddies. Best friends, love each other. Jonathan says, I'm the king's son, I'm the prince, but you're going to be king and I'm going to serve you. I mean, just think about how that would have played out if Jonathan didn't die in battle. Would he have done what he said he was doing? Of course. Would that have caused problems for David? Of course. Think about that. You have those who were faithful to Saul, all of a sudden David's going to be king and it's not Jonathan or one of his other sons. That would have been difficult. There's a lesson from history. Muhammad, the leader of the people of Islam, when he died, there was some, a group of people who thought his, one of his sons should be leader of the nation of Islam. And there's another group of people who they thought it, it, it didn't need to be someone in his family. It just needed to be the best man for the job. And so for the last 1,300 years, what's taken place is you've got this battle, bloodshed between the Shiite and the Sunni Muslims. Yeah, this doesn't work, does it? So it's interesting that Jonathan loses life, but in the providence of God, God saw fit to see David put on the throne to be the leader of his people. 1 Chronicles chapter 10, verse 13 and 14. And what, I, what I've done over the last couple months is I, I keep reading through 1 first, first and Second Chronicles because it gives us an overview of Israel's history and much of what we read is supplemented material, supplemental material, if you will, in 1 Chronicles. It says in chapter 10, 13 and 14, So Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord and that he did not keep the command of the Lord. 
and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord, therefore the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. How did Saul die? The Lord put him to death, right? Using the Philistines to do it. God, he's going to deal with sin in judgment, but he deals with obedience and blessing all according to his word. So, a couple just about a couple things by way of application, I think, for this chapter. We didn't cover a lot here, but I, I didn't think I could finish chapter 1 of 2 Samuel. We'll pick up there next week. But just by way of application, Saul didn't trust and obey the Lord. He died a sinner's death. Well, we, we've already said we don't get to choose how we're going to leave this earth, do we? But will we die well? I don't know about you, but I want to die well. I want to finish well. I want to persevere in my faith and I want to finish well. However the Lord sees fit to take me from this earth, I want to die well. I want it to be said of me that this man loved the Lord sought to give God glory and impact people for his kingdom. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6-8, through 8, Paul, he says that as well. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. This is a very familiar verse. Verses for many of us. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So what's Paul saying? Now I'm, I'm trying to finish well. I'm going to finish well. I'm going to persevere. I, I want to persevere as well. And I'm sure you do also. Second thing, just by way of application, we need to live like God's word is sure. I mean, what does God, how does he deal with sin and what does he do with sinners? He judges sin and judges sinners, doesn't he? Charles Swindoll, he tells a, a, a story, it's a legend about a, a merchant in Baghdad. And one day his servant, he sent him to the market. It wasn't very long, the servant came back, he's white and he's trembling and he said to his master, down the marketplace, I was bumped into by a woman. And when I turned around, I saw that it was death that bumped into me. And she looked at me and she made a threatening gesture. He says, Master, please lend me your horse for I must ride away to avoid her. I'm going to ride to Samara and there I will hide and death will not find me. So the merchant, because his servant was freaking out, he gave him his horse and the servant galloped away and Hurriedly. So later the merchant goes down to the marketplace and saw death standing in the crowd and he went over to her and he asked, why did you frighten my servant this morning? Why did you threaten my servant? Death looked at him and said, That's not a, that wasn't a threatening gesture. It was a, I was startled. I was surprised. I'm astonished to see him in Baghdad for I have an appointment with him tonight in Samara. Each of us, we have an appointment in Samara, don't we? Yeah. Our days are coming to an end. And for some, it's a cause of rejoicing, right? Like Jonathan. There's no need to be fearful, provided that we have put our faith in Christ. There's no reason to tremble if you've 
trusted him who alone holds the key to life and death. Can you say that about yourself today? Are you Are you secure in your salvation? Because our days are numbered. And only the Lord knows the number of our days. And one day we'll breathe our last and we'll stand before Him in judgment. And the Bible teaches clearly, doesn't it, that we're, we're all sinners. We're all separated from the Lord because of our sin. That's the consequence of sin. The wages of sin is death. We're separated from the Lord. One day we'll breathe our last and we'll be separated from the Lord for all eternity. But the Lord has sent His Son to take on flesh and to live for us the life we couldn't live. He obeyed the Lord completely, but He also died a death for us as well, for sinners. And the Bible says that He was crucified and He was buried, and on the third day He rose from the dead so we could be justified, so we could be made right with Him. Even though we sin, we could be made right with God and have a relationship with Him, and we could have our sin debt canceled. And we can know Him and call Him Father. Have a relationship with Him. And what that does is guarantee our inheritance. So when we do breathe our last, we'll be with Him forever. Is that true of you? Can you say beyond a shadow of a doubt that you know the Lord? That you have your sin debt paid? That you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, trusting in His work on the cross? alone for your salvation. I hope that is true of you. If not, I want to encourage you by way of application to repent and believe Christ's work and His work on the cross for you. I'll encourage you to call out to the Lord, asking the Lord for forgiveness, pleading for mercy. Because God is a loving God, but He's also a just God, isn't He? If you have questions about that, I'd love to talk to you about that. You're concerned about your salvation and you're not sure what to do and where you are exactly. I'd love to talk to you about it. I hope you want to persevere in your faith. You want to finish well and die well. Let's live like God's word is sure. That what he says he'll do, he'll do. That he'll... He'll judge sinners and He'll be merciful to those who cry out to Christ. May we live like that this week. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we acknowledge that You are King forever. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. And you, have, you deserve that title because of Your work not only in creation but in salvation. Sending Jesus to take on flesh and live for us and completely, faithfully obeying the law you gave for us. And He died a, a cruel death that we sinners could be set free from our sin and have our sin debt paid for. Um, Lord, we acknowledge that you are worthy of all our praise because of the work you've done in Jesus and we recognize that every good thing we have in life has come from you. You have given it to us freely, graciously. And Father, many of us here in this room have 
recognize that fact. If we've seen our sin for what it is and we've turned from it. We've trusted Christ's work on the cross and we have assurance of our salvation. We can face death with confidence in you. Yet maybe there's some here, Lord, who can't. They've yet to repent and trust you. They are yet to cry out to you for mercy. Father, I pray that you would open their spiritual eyes and ears to see and hear the truth of the gospel. That they would want to know you more than anything. They would be willing to surrender their wills to you. Knowing that what you give is far greater than what we have now. Father, help us as we leave. May we leave rejoicing and courage, wanting to be faithful to you. As we rest today, we spend time with family. Pray that you would give us a good day in you, and you would bring us back Wednesday for our Bible study and all the kids and student activities and prayer time for the adults. May you bring us back that we could share testimony of how we've been faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen.